0: News Network. In a world where up is down and sideways is a way of life, when the truth one moment is a lie the next, and everything is your fault, you need hope, you need clarity, you need TNN,
1: the Truth News
0: Network, and Dan Newman. Boy, that nails it on the head, doesn't it? Everything that seems up is down, everything that seems wrong is right, and What's right is wrong, and we're left to figure all of this out. Well, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to puzzle through it today together at TNN Live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new week, the last day of the month of February 2022. Who would have thought we'd be here this quickly? You know what? I, I When I went back and analyzed this time lapse, at least the perception of time flying by so quickly, And tried to figure out where it began. It began in COVID world. Think about it. Back in the early part of 2020, when we had so much varying information thrown at us, you got to believe this. You got to trust this. Trust the science. You remember the consternation we had, where we were all breathless every day, looking for facts, trying to find out what to do, trying to figure out what could possibly be done to keep our our health and that of our family, and then there's our business lives to keep it all in normal order, Order, and it certainly wasn't. It got out of hand very early on. I think we got so caught up in all of the chaos and the confusion and that lifestyle that we were forced to live that we just lost track of time, and time just kept going forward like normal, but it just seemed much faster to me. And that's just my perception. Who the heck knows if that is correct or not? But I can tell you this. It might be the fact that I'm getting older. And even though there's 365 days between my birthdays, it seems like those are cut in half at least in number. And time flies. And it's not flying just because we're having a good time. It's flying because there's so much going on. Well, how was your weekend? I hope you had a restful weekend in Louisiana, we're in the Mardi Gras season. Actually, folks, guess what? Fat Tuesday is tomorrow. It's early this year. March 1, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras. And, of course, for Louisiana folks and other cities around the country and around the world, for that matter, it's it's uh, party time. And uh, it's a time, actually, just to give you an exact reason and purpose for the timing for Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, it's exactly 40 days before Easter. And so Easter Sunday is set uh, by the stars, by the cosmics, and then they just count back 40 days and that is Fat Tuesday every year. And the Catholic celebration of Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras is like the last day that you're supposed to be able to do all those things that You know, you're not supposed to do, but you do anyway. In other words, you imbibe, you go crazy, you party hardy on Fat Tuesday. And then Ash Wednesday, the day after Mardi Gras, is when you go to church and you get the ashes on your head. And that is the beginning of the Lenten season in which every good Catholic thinks of at least one thing, one personal thing that they're going to give up and sacrifice And it's supposed to be spiritually purely, but it's really not. People just feel like you got to do something to celebrate the Lenten season. And that, of course, breaks on Easter Sunday. So now you got the history lesson. You got that for free. There's a whole lot of history in the making around the globe today. Need I tell you, we're not done. Nor is Vladimir Putin in Ukraine, nor especially are the Ukrainian people. Now, we're going to bring you up to date. Um, We've got some inside information, some scoops that we want to bring to you. But what I want to do first, for those of you that just joined us and you haven't been in a situation where um, you can concentrate on what's going on over there in Ukraine regarding the invasion, here's what NBC News reported just moments ago.
2: As Russian troops face unanticipated setbacks and losses in Ukraine, President Vladimir Putin is waving his biggest sword, putting his nuclear weapons on high alert. As Russian troops push ahead with their massive assault against Ukraine's major cities, breaking into Kharkiv before being repelled, destroying an oil depot near Kiev, and attacking the city with more airstrikes overnight. In Kiev this morning, we saw the aftermath of what Ukrainian soldiers tell us was a Russian assault they managed to stop. His truck was clearly carrying a lot of ammunition. All around here, there are thousands and thousands of burned out bullets. So this went up with an enormous bang. Ukrainian troops are surprising the world with their resistance and resilience. Ukrainians lining up for food remain in good spirits.
3: We are okay. Um, We are calm and we have a
4: lot of resolve.
2: Ukrainian troops have managed to slow down the advance of one of the most powerful armies in the world. Putin's blitz isn't going to plan. Ukrainian troops claim to have blown up more than 700 Russian armored vehicles, around 150 tanks and dozens of helicopters and aircraft. And they say they've killed around 5,000 Russian troops, while 300 Ukrainian civilians have been killed. The government hasn't released information about military losses. Ukraine's President Zelensky, who's been speaking several times a day to keep his people united and show he's still in control, this morning said, we stand firm. We have survived more than others have withstood in decades. Speaking in Russian, he called on Russian troops to drop their weapons and leave. Russia is advancing along three lines of attack from the north to Kiev, the east to Kharkiv and from the south to Mariupol, three routes that need resupply and Russian logistics appear to be failing. Russian armored vehicles have been running out of gas, some stopping dead in their tracks by the roadside. A Ukrainian pulled up to one recording. Did you break down? He asked Russian soldiers. No diesel, one replies. I can only tow you back to Moscow, the Ukrainian responds. But Putin still has a lot of military might to throw at Ukraine, with one-third of Russia's troops surrounding the country yet to be sent into battle. And outside of Kiev now is this menacing Russian convoy, a mile long in striking distance of the city. Ukrainians here are keeping a fighting spirit, and they say they are tremendously encouraged by all the support and solidarity that they are seeing around the world.
0: And it is worldwide, folks. We saw over the weekend, we saw pushback, demonstrations all across the world, some big cities. Tens of thousands of people are coming out in support of the Ukrainian people and are pointing their finger at Vladimir Putin. I'm going to tell you what. One thing we do know for sure, he is way, 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 way worried about what he arrogantly predicted. He got busted. He got totally wiped off when the news leaked that on the run-up to their invasion, he was bragging to his military leaders and said, we should, and I'm paraphrasing, we should be able to destroy Ukraine in 18 minutes. Where'd the number 18 come from, by the way? Not 15, not 20, but he said 18 minutes. And of course, now we're into day five and he still doesn't even have the capital city and that was his target to get and take over the first week. Um, Looks like he may not make it his first week. Actually, he said initially it was going to be on day one. Well, guess what happened this morning over in Ukraine? Russia and Ukraine are getting together to discuss ceasefire. Who would have thought this would happen? And who would have thought it would happen that quickly? Ukrainian presidential advisor Medolyak told Reuters News the face-to-face exchanges have begun in Ukraine. The Ukrainian president's office said earlier the talk's aim was an immediate ceasefire and withdrawal of Russian forces from Ukraine. President Zelensky, I like this guy. He's becoming and an, he's already a hero in Ukraine. He said 16 Ukrainian children have been killed. Another 45 have been injured in the Russian invasion. He also added that over 4,500 Russian troops have been killed and he urged Putin's troops to lay down their guns and leave. Think about that. This is this is David and Goliath and David, little David, Vladimir Zelensky. A stand-up comic that ran for the presidency in Ukraine and won. He's standing up in the road and all the Russian armaments coming right toward him, trying to get over him to the nation of Ukraine. And he's saying, bring it on, boys. Bring it on. Zelensky added in a video message yesterday, by the way, early, early this morning, every crime, every shelling by the occupiers bring our partners and us even closer. The Ukrainian delegation was the first to arrive with the talks with Russia, saying they were unclear whether they'll lead to any breakthrough. And then there's the UN. UN Secretary Council, Security Council, I'm sorry, has also voted to hold a rare emergency special session of the General Assembly of the UN to debate the crisis engulfing Ukraine and Russia's invasion. We got our eye on the news during the show today. We'll keep you, um, keep you informed. Hopefully there'll be some good positive results that come out of those peace talks because nothing would be better for the Ukrainian people than for this thing to somebody hit the pause button. I think you'll agree. Well, in the middle of all of this, it kind of shocked a lot of people um, what Putin did early yesterday. He put all of his military people on nuclear readiness watch notice. Now, what the heck is that all about? Do you honestly think that Vladimir Putin is ready to start a nuclear war? If he's thinking that, and obviously it crossed his mind for him to even consider putting that notice out and warning people, and of course you and I both know, When we hear these kinds of things coming from a dictator, it's not just for his people. It's to scare everybody around the world that he's coming after us all, right? So yesterday, late yesterday, House Minority Leader Representative Kevin McCarthy from California, he explained two reasons that he thinks Vladimir Putin, who he described, McCarthy described Vladimir as reckless, evil, and dangerous. He gave us two reasons for what Vladimir is doing. Early yesterday, he said that he believes one thing, one reason, is because this war is not going well, and Putin is being painted into a corner. He wants to be a stronger hand to play to try to negotiate a way out. And then he went on to argue the second reason is because Vladimir Putin is unstable. Now, we don't get a lot of one-on-one or even news media directly about Vladimir Putin. Obviously, he's in Russia, and they're not real forthcoming for news and information. McCarthy said this At this moment in time, no country in the world should stand with Putin. Everyone should unite around the basis of what he just claimed to take in the last hours. McCarthy made those comments after Putin ordered the defense minister and the chief of the military general staff to put Russia's nuclear deterrent forces in a special regime of combat duty. And that kind of surprised a lot of people. He's right now threatening a nuclear escalation. That's according to former DIA intelligence officer Rebecca Koffler. This is a veiled threat or maybe such a veiled threat. He just met with his chief of general, staff, and minister of defense. He's escalating the conflict into the nuclear domain in order to de-escalate, that is topple Kiev's regime quickly. So in other words, our experts in military readiness, they think that he escalated it to kind of scare the leaders of Ukraine to make them or force them jump to the table and kind of throw in the towel. Western countries aren't only taking unfriendly actions against our country in the economic sphere, Putin said, but top officials from leading NATO members made aggressive statements regarding our country. Vlad, he warned last week that countries who interfere with his invasion of Ukraine are going to face, and this is a quote, consequences you have never seen. Yesterday on Maria Bartiromo show, Sunday Morning Futures, On Fox News, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said that President Biden should have supplied weapons to Ukraine much earlier. I had this conversation with Biden in advance, telling him I do not believe that Putin is afraid of those sanctions. He's lived with them for years. He knows how to get around them, McCarthy said. What he really needs is a deterrent. He went on to slam Biden's withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan And all that weaponry, all those vehicles and aircraft that were left behind. This was a note that popped into my head over the weekend. Can you imagine what Ukraine could be doing today or could have been doing over the last five days if all of that military hardware that President Biden just walked away from when we left Afghanistan, $82 billion worth of equipment. He just walked away from it. And I mean, I'm talking about heavyweight stuff. I'm talking about fighter helicopters, an unimaginable group of missiles, defensive missiles, and really good weaponry. Everything you can imagine. He left for the Afghanis. What would Ukraine have been able to do if all of this was there? McCarthy argued that Had Zelensky agreed to evacuate Kyiv at the behest of the U.S. government, the country would have collapsed. And Volensky is the one that said, no, we were trying to talk him into leaving. Uh Uh-uh, he's staying, he said. Zelensky's turned down the offer to stay in response that the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride out of here. Wow. Even America... Taking the option of supplying Ukraine with weapons is the correct one, but it's harder to supply them today, McCarthy said. We should have taken those actions much sooner, and we should learn from this moment in time, we should speed up the sales of weapons to Taiwan for what the future looks at and what China's looking at happening today as well. There are a lot of experts, military experts around the globe, folks, that expect at any moment for Xi Jinping to start an invasion from China to take back Taiwan. So McCarthy yesterday, he uh, made this argument a day after secretary of state, Anthony Blinken announced the U S is further going to bolster Ukraine's defense in the face of Russia's invasion with an unprecedented third payment of $350 million. Now think about that. That's that's our third one. In other words, We've already given them a billion, $50 million in cash. Why did we wait so long to do that? Why didn't we just quote unquote lend them a bunch of military hardware and give them the necessary stuff to fight and keep Putin from invading Ukraine so we nor any of our partners in Europe would ever have to deal with him again? I can understand it, folks. Antony Blinken our National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, even our Secretary of Defense, General Lloyd Austin. We have history in conflict with these three in charge in the previous State Department and the previous military. Lloyd Austin was the director of CENTCOM during Benghazi. Now, CENTCOM is the U.S. military. He was over all of them for Europe and Africa, in the Middle East at the time. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, they were in Hillary Clinton's Department of State during Benghazi. They were all three hands-on in all of the decisions that happened back then. And you remember what their decisions and choices on Hillary Clinton's watch, what they did, guess what happened? Four Americans gave their lives needlessly. They were butchered brutally in the streets of Benghazi because nobody would stand up and tell the truth and take action and defend the consulate in Benghazi. Put that in the back of your mind as we watch how this ends up going forward. These are not the sharpest spades in the garage, these three. So little bits and pieces of some positive news keep leaking out of Ukraine, like the Ukrainian government yesterday released that the world's largest aircraft, the world's largest aircraft, was destroyed at a strategically important airport just outside Kiev in the middle of this Russia attack. This was the world's largest aircraft. A, a, an An-225 dream is what they call it in Ukraine. Ukraine's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Dmitry Khaliba, wrote on Twitter alongside a photo of the plane, Russia may have destroyed our plane, our dream, but they will never be able to destroy our dream of a strong, free, and democratic European state. We shall prevail. Now, this this plane, folks, this thing is a monster. It's an Antonov 225. It's the only one of its kind. It's equipped with three jet engines on each wing, supporting a maximum takeoff weight of 600 tons, or 1.3 million pounds. Now, if you compare that to the ones we see all the time, the Lockheed Martin Super Galaxy, the largest cargo plane in service surf, for our Air Force, that has a maximum takeoff weight of 840,000 pounds. So this dream can take off with half a million more weight pounds of weight than can the ones that our military uses rumors that the dream was damaged or destroyed began to come out into the public eye in february on the 24th when a battle broke out over the control of ukrainian and the ukrainian skies as part of this shortly after bombing the kiev international airport the russians extended the air battle to Hostomel Antonov airport where the dream was sheltered and so they're going after the big stuff they're trying to make a dramatic impact to scare not just the people of Ukraine folks but scare everybody in Europe Vladimir Putin is little more than a bully and somebody is stepping up and hitting him right between the eyes he has no idea of how to respond and in some ways, it's 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 funny to me, but I'm telling you, it's not funny to these Ukrainian people. All kinds of neat, cool stories are coming out. One example, I heard an interview very early this morning with a woman in Poland. Now, why would that be a big deal, Poland? We're talking about a war in Ukraine, right? Well, this lady's husband and a bunch of his friends had just left yesterday. Now, remember this, they're living in Poland, which is it's a very strategic country. It's next door to the west of Ukraine, and a lot of Ukrainian immigrants are, are headed towards Poland for safety. But her husband and a bunch of his friends are doing the other thing. They left Poland going back to Ukraine. They're all natives of Ukraine, and they're volunteering going back to take up arms with the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian military to stand for their country. I thought that was interesting. She said hundreds, hundreds of Polish people that have Ukrainian roots are doing that exact same thing. And then the owner of the biggest bottled water company in the nation of Ukraine, there were videos out over the weekend. He shut down his plant. He's not bottling any water anymore, but it showed a crew of people in there. He's taken the entire plant and retrofitted it to make Molotov cocktails. In other words, bottles that are filled with explosive, maybe gasoline, maybe diesel, whatever they have they're putting in them. And he's teaching nationals, Uranian national people, how to create these mini bombs to take on the Russian troops as they come into the city of Kiev. Those people are very brave, folks. Very, very brave. And they're not allowing this tyrant Vladimir Putin to take over their country without a fight. So I got asked three or four times last week, what's the history of Russia and Ukraine? Why is Vladimir Putin so up in arms, literally up in arms, but he has been for a long time? What's going on that makes this such a big deal for Russia to take Ukraine back? Well, I've got a little history perspective. In fact, it comes from a historian we're going to take our first break because I, don't, I, I want to keep our breaks today spread way apart so we can get you more and more information. Right when we get on the backside of this break, you're going to hear the story of why Ukraine, the nation of Ukraine, is such a big deal to Vladimir Putin. That and a whole lot more just ahead. Don't go anywhere. <laughs>
2: Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University.
3: Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind. And what you've created has changed lives. And I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part
2: of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu
0: slash future. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. <gasps> you can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans is the claim-free three-peat. <laughs> get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something.
2: Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers' branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by farmers, Truck trucker, fire insurance, exchanges, or affiliate.
4: Today on Hey Culligan Softer Equals Better, here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months of participating Culligan
0: dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep, there's only one. It's a registered trademark of FCA U.S. LLC. It's hard to hear the truth, but if the truth will set us free, we'd rather enjoy freedom. TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, Dan Newman. I can just hear Ukrainian people saying that. They want the truth, and they want freedom. They want liberty. They want what you and I have. And folks, don't get afraid. Don't be scared to death about what Vladimir Putin is doing in Ukraine. But just mark on your calendar, this is a very historical event. There's a ton of history over in that part of Europe, Northern Europe and Western Asia. You do know that Russia is both in Europe and in Asia. It's that big. It stretches so far to the east from uh, Northern Europe. There's a whole lot of at stake in a lot of different ways that many of us don't know about. And I'm one of those. I really didn't know all the ins and outs about why this is such a big deal. Ukraine for Vladimir Putin and according to him, the people of Russia. And so I dug up and I found an explanation that explains Vladimir Putin's fixation on the Ukraine. And I've got some facts and numbers right after this short explanation. This is gonna explain a lot to you that you probably don't understand right now.
4: These joint operation, all the US media cheering them on, saying this was the greatest day for Ukrainian democracy when the fascists stormed the parliament and dispersed the government.
0: This is regarding the 2014 invasion that ended up with Russia taking Crimea and how everybody was looking at Russia versus Ukraine At that particular time, and the whys that Vladimir Putin was so dead set on getting it, and also why he's back in Ukraine today.
4: And they thought, okay, we have Russia by the throat. And it was then that Putin said, look, we're going to let the people in Crimea, who are almost all Russian speakers and ethnically Russian, we're going to let them have a referendum about whether under these circumstances they want to reaffix Crimea to Russia. And they had a referendum in June 2014, and 95% of the people voted yes, we prefer to be with Russia. Crimea had always been part of Russia. It was only given to Ukraine in 1954 by Nikita Khrushchev when Ukraine and Russia were part of the same country, the Soviet Union. And so when Putin did that, the United States accused Russia of seizing Ukraine because that referendum took place in Crimea where the people voted to associate with Russia rather than Ukraine. The other part of that equation that's very important for people who don't know enough about this situation to understand is Crimea was the most important naval base for the Soviet Union. And after the Soviet Union collapsed, after the Soviet Federation or Union broke up, there was an agreement between the Ukrainian, now independent Ukrainian government and the Russian government, that the Black Sea Fleet, the Russian Black Sea Naval Base, the largest military installation that Russia has, would remain part of Russia even though Crimea was technically a part of Ukraine. So when the U.S.-led fascist coup d'etat took place, Vladimir Putin realized that the Russian primary biggest military base, the largest naval base, would now become a NATO base with nuclear missiles pointed at Russia. That was too much. And so then, and only then, did Russia go forward and allow this referendum to take place. And since then, since then, the United States and all of the politicians and the media have labeled Putin to be and Russia to be the aggressor. But that's the actual context. And so Russia now feels that Ukraine, which was the exact, you know, planes through which Hitler invaded the Soviet Union in June 1941. What Putin is saying is this is a red line for us. We are not going to allow Ukraine, formerly our biggest ally, the second biggest republic in the Soviet Union, to be used by NATO to prepare for an invasion of Russia. That's not going to happen. That's why we are now at the verge of a major power conflict between the U.S. and Russia. And the reason I wanted to give a little bit of this history is that the American people don't know about it.
0: We don't know about it. As much as I heard about the Crimean War when Joe Biden was vice president, Barack Obama was president, when we basically just gave the territory of Crimea, the Soviet Union, to Vladimir Putin, I couldn't understand why Ukraine was so important. Two Saturdays ago, if you'll remember, on the Monday show following that Saturday, I told you a story that was told to me by... The only guy I know personally, and he is a friend, who is a multi-billionaire on the planet. There are a bunch of them, but they don't run in my circle. Well, maybe I don't run in their circle. But this guy is worth $23 billion, real money, cash money. And he's from Singapore. He doesn't live in Singapore anymore. I'm not going to tell you his name, nor will I tell you where he's located at the time, but he's an expert on European and Asian history. He explained to me, before I ever heard what I just gave to you a moment ago, the attraction that Vladimir Putin has for Ukraine. And he told me, Vladimir Putin is scared to death of the United States getting heavy-handed and getting NATO to invite Ukraine to come and be a part of NATO. Now, why is that? Well, you know, the NATO has a pact that every member of, country in NATO, if any one of the members of NATO is attacked by somebody outside of NATO, it requires every member to join forces and defend that country, no matter who the aggressor is. Now put that in the context of what you see happening that Vladimir Putin is doing. He can see a scenario where Joe Biden or whoever his successor is going to be, could force NATO, and we have a lot of power with NATO, we're the biggest contributor to NATO, force NATO to let Ukraine become a member of NATO. And that would be a massive threat to Vladimir Putin, as you just heard. The seaport on the Black Sea. I had no idea. That was the biggest military installation that Russia had. I can see him being worried about that. And I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying it's excusable. I'm just telling you there's a reason for it. Now, let me give you the other reason. If you were with us last day, uh, last week, one day, I told you in everyday matters, what's so stinking important about Ukraine? Listen to the value, the kind of value you and I understand, dollars and cents. Listen to... To what Ukraine brings to the table, they are, Ukraine is, the first in Europe in proven recoverable reserves of uranium, second in Europe, and tenth in the world in terms of titanium ore reserves, second in the world in terms of explored reserves of manganese ores, 2.3 billion tons, that's 12% of the world's entire reserves of manganese. Second largest iron ore reserve in the world. They have 30 billion tons of iron ore. Second place in Europe in terms of mercury ore reserves. Third place in Europe, 13th in the world in shale gas reserves. I had no idea they had oil and gas in Ukraine. Ukraine is fourth in the world by the total value of natural resources, all rolled in. Seventh in the world in cold reserves. And by the way, here's the biggie. Very few people are talking about a Ukraine and Vladimir Putin's fixation. Ukraine is an agricultural country. It's first in Europe in terms of farmable land. Third in the world by the area of black soil. First place in the world in exports of sunflower and sunflower oil. Second in the world in barley production. Fourth in barley exports. Third producer Third largest and fourth largest exporter of corn in the world. Fourth largest producer of potatoes in the world. Fifth largest rye producer in the world. Fifth in the world in bee production. Yeah, the buzz, buzz, buzz blee, uh, bees. What is that? That's honey. Eighth place in the world in wheat exports. Ninth in the world in the production of chicken eggs. Sixteenth in the world in cheese exports. Ukraine can meet the food needs of 600 million people. Did you get that one? Ukraine, just it itself, can meet all of the food needs of 600 million people. They are first in Europe, in ammonia production too. Second, Europe and fourth largest natural gas pipeline system in the world. Third largest in Europe. Eighth largest in the world in terms of installed capacity of nuclear power plants. Third in Europe. Eleventh in the world in terms of rail network length. Third place in the world after the U.S. and France in production of locators and locating equipment. Third largest iron exporter in the world. Fourth largest exporter of turbines for nuclear power plants in the world. Fourth world largest manufacturer of rocket launchers, fourth place in the world in clay exports, fourth in the world in titanium exports, eighth in the world in exports of ores and concentrates, ninth in the world in exports of defense industry products, and they are the 10th largest steel producer on earth. That's a mouthful, folks. And my friend, the billionaire that I told you about, he told me the fixation for Putin is he cannot feed the Russian people without Ukraine. And if Joe Biden or any other leader talks NATO into bringing a Ukraine in, we could control, we would have really a choco control on Russia because if you take away the food, What's going to happen to any nation? If we don't have food here in the United States, what's going to happen to us? We'll be under the control of somebody else that can hold that over our heads. It's amazing what facts make as far as a difference in how you understand and you look at any situation. And this is not just about world politics, folks, geopolitical. It's not just about that. It's about everyday life. Ukraine brings a whole lot to the table. And I promise you, Vladimir Putin's not the only country that looks very hungrily at Ukraine. Far behind, not far behind, should be probably Xi Jinping and China. There's another place. Food for its people is a really, really big deal. So I guess what I'm saying, folks, this whole thing that's playing out over there, it's probably much bigger than any of us thought that it was. It is Way bigger than what I thought it was. I just thought it was a chance for Vladimir Putin to thump his chest. You know, I mean, it, it seems like it's one of those one of those kind of things. He is a bullyard bully, a play playground bully. That's what he's known as, and we've seen him flex his muscles again and again against people. So he has even Putin formally lashed out at other people in Europe that are contemplating joining NATO. And one of those he reached out and actually threatened is Finland. He did this over the weekend. Finland's ambassador to the U.S., he bragged about his country's strong military, and he said he didn't see any immediate threat after one Russian official suggested military action if Finland were just going to join NATO. Russian foreign ministry spokesperson Zakharova said that Finland and Sweden both would face some military and political consequences if they join NATO. We're not in a position that we'll get scared because of one statement, the ambassador said. We have one of the best armies, he's talking about Finland, in Europe. We have strong defense, he added. We have really good international partners, too. So, this uh, Ukraine thing, it doesn't sit in a vacuum, folks. As far as Vladimir Putin's concerned, it's just kind of like the tip of the spear. And Ukraine goes, a lot of the security, a lot of the financial capability, a lot of the ability to be self sufficient for the entire nation of Russia is at stake if he can't take control of Ukraine. You understand a little bit more about it? I did. So were you one of those people kind of like me last week when um, Joe Biden was up thumping his chest about those egregious, egregious acts that he had taken against Vladimir Putin and Russia, and everybody said, those aren't going to stop him. I mean, what's, what's the biggest thing that Russia brings to the table worldwide? What do they bring? They're massive oil and gas producers. They sell, that's their number one export, is gas and oil. In fact, our president, he kind of, he didn't want to talk about the fact that in October, the month before he was elected president, that the United States for the first time in decades became energy independent. We were creating more energy than we needed for ourselves and we began to export our oil and gas specifically. Well, three months later, Joe Biden's inaugurated into the White House. We know what he did on day one. He started the slide, an all-out attack on the carbon energy industry, and basically since then has shut down a huge portion of our oil and gas production, so much so that the first month Joe Biden was president, we bought six million barrels of oil from Russia. And every day of every month since then, Every day, we buy 600,000 barrels of oil from Russia. So don't you think it would be a wise thing, the obvious thing to do for any president, when we have a Russian leader invading free countries unprovoked, that we would do whatever it took to shut Russia down and stop them from doing that? We don't know how many Ukrainian people have died because of this invasion. We hear all kinds of numbers The Ukrainian government probably won't know for some time, but that's not my point. My point is, if we want peace in the world, we've got to give everybody that attacks the peace of the world, we've got to get them in a spot where they got to think very seriously about attacking other countries non-provoked. So I would think the United States of America, number one country on the planet, most powerful country on the planet, We've got the deepest pockets of any country on the planet. I would think we could uh, we could make Vladimir Putin, we could take him to his knees financially. But Joe Biden didn't do that. He didn't do anything censoring their oil and gas exports. He could have frozen those on day one. He had the power and he had the cooperation of a bunch of other enough countries around the world to do just that. To shut down virtually maybe not all of, but a huge part of their gas and oil assets and sales and exporting and getting paid for it. All he had to do was shut down the SWIFT system, which is the international international country to country transaction vehicle that any country and in, in inside of any countries, when big companies, they do international transactions transactions they have to use the swift system we could have shut it down but biden didn't do that he stopped short of that and so boy it just got louder and louder and louder and people overseas even were screaming why the heck aren't you doing that mr president you can shut them down Uh, let me just tell you something you remember the name nigel farage Nigel Farage, British name. Yeah, he's a British guy. He was the politician formerly in the UK parliament for a number of years, but he's in private service now. I think he's going to run for prime minister in the UK. Boris Johnson has been feckless. Nigel Farage is a good friend of the United States and uh, he is in different news aspects He keeps everybody on this side of the pond well aware politically what's going on in Europe. He gave a speech at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference down in Orlando over the weekend. He led the UK in the Brexit action where the UK seceded from the European Union. He said that Vladimir Putin has nothing to fear from our president. And Farage described Joe Biden as the worst president in the history of the United States. So I guess you don't have to wonder how Nigel feels about our presidential administration. He is and was the leading force behind Brexit that resulted in the UK leaving the EU. He said that a failure of leadership here from Joe Biden has resulted in Putin being emboldened enough to even launch that invasion of Ukraine. Putin had nothing to fear from the worst American president in the history of this nation. That's Farage says. I have no doubt that if Donald Trump had still been in the White House, that invasion of Ukraine would not have happened. I'm not allowed to say, let's go Brandon because it's too rude, Farage joked, before he launched a full-throated <laughs> let's-go Brandon chant with the CPAC trial. Seriously. Seriously. He warned that if America continues to fail to assert its power as the leader of the free world, Putin is going to try to reestablish the Russian empire of Catherine the Great or the czars and move beyond Ukraine to potentially recapture Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, or Estonia. All of those countries, folks, are NATO states and therefore theoretically guaranteed the protection I talked to you about about the United States. If anybody goes to war against Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, or Estonia, individually or collectively, all the NATO member countries have got to go to war with them. Farad said something we said here last week. He said that Putin is probing NATO, looking for weaknesses, explaining that the alliance suffered a big blow after President Biden decided to unilaterally withdraw from Afghanistan without informing his NATO partners like the UK before making that move. And of course, Farage said this, and he's speaking for the Brits. We're asking ourselves a question. Do Americans want to be the leaders of the Western world? Because if they're not, we have a big problem. This is unfair on American taxpayers and American people, but it's a fact. The truth is without America, NATO is a waste of space noting that the unwillingness of a bunch of the NATO nations to fulfill their military spending requirements, which Trump frequently criticized countries like Germany for. He did maintain, though, that the West has to take some share of the blame in driving Putin to launch this invasion by expanding NATO and the European Union, saying, we've made mistakes, we have gotten some things wrong. And he added this, it's critical for us to show leadership in order to stop the bigger threat of a potential invasion of Taiwan by communist China, which by the way, China claims ownership over the island, despite the fact that the Beijing regime has never ruled over that country, never has, which has its own distinct culture and its own currency, its own military, and by the way, a democratically elected government. If China takes Taiwan, Farage says, you realize what that will do for us? Despite the massive investments, the semiconductors that are needed, there's so much of our modern life, the semiconductors that are needed without which the car industry is over. They are still manufactured for the most part in Taiwan. If China moves against the weak West, if China moves against the weak American president, If China moves and takes Taiwan, that will have a disastrous consequence for all of us, not just you here in the United States, but everybody in the free world. Now, he finished his speech at CPAC. He got a little positive at the end of it. He urged the conservatives at CPAC to spread a message of our greatness, American greatness, to win back the Congress in the midterm elections just ahead and ultimately make a change at the White House get another conservative back there whether it's Trump or somebody else Farad says the question is are you ready for this great battle are you ready for America to once again take its position as the leader of the free world are you ready for a big win in the midterms in November the crowd of course went absolutely crazy Donald Trump was there and he gave a speech. I did not see the speech. I just got sound bites. And as usual, he came out and made his position very, very clear. There was a there was a poll that was taken at the end of CPAC regarding who the conservatives that were there and responded to the poll how they felt about the names of those that have been mentioned to run against whoever on the Democrat side will be running for president in 2024. Trump won 60% of those people at CPAP, which didn't, it didn't surprise very many people. It certainly didn't surprise me. So all this conversation, all this noise that's in the room, all these things we've been talking about for the first 50 minutes of this show, it boils down to one thing. Our president has not been divisive on many things. Not been decisive. I said divisive. That's that's a faux pas for sure because he is very divisive. He's not been decisive on any of the big international, especially geopolitical decisions that we've been confronted with. But folks, his actions or his inaction shouldn't surprise any of us. We have a history of 40, almost 50 years with Joe Biden in politics. He's always been Indecisive when it comes to big decisions. Now, he always comes out and makes a recommendation or he tells people what he thinks. But regarding foreign policy, almost everything he's ever done, he's been on the wrong side of it. He missed totally. He's been called out by foreign policy experts through decades, blasting him for that very thing. But yet, that didn't make any difference to the leadership in the Democrat Party when they were choosing who they were going to run against Donald Trump in 2020. It made no difference. He was probably, of all those people that were on stage during those debates, what was the original number, 18? I don't know, but it was a dozen plus of all of those people there. The person on the stage that was and is today the least qualified for taking control and responsibility for the entire part of being the president of the United States. He was the least ready, the least qualified at that time. And boy, we've seen a dramatic switch as his cognitive ability, his ability to even speak coherently, carry on a conversation and make good decisions. They're in the tank. Even Democrats are now saying, we've got a problem in the White House. And over the weekend, another one of those polls came out. This time it was ABC. ABC News, not, not a very conservative bastion of uh, media, I think you'll agree. And even if they're skewed a little bit towards the left, which they typically are, the latest over the weekend, as of yesterday, the latest support, confidence, And Joe Biden, the likability, everything rolled into one, of the American people, and these were all voters that were polled, his support dropped to 37%. 37%. There hasn't been a Democrat in the White House that that's happened to in uh, two generations. Why is that? The American people have awakened... They have awakened and they see we got a problem and they see the problem is now festering and it's creating specific, really bad things for Americans and effectively every other one of our free country partners on the globe. Can you, can you honestly imagine a scenario where you, you know, you see every once in a while, you see that little military guy and he's on the heels of Joe Biden, getting getting on Air Force One, getting off of Air Force One, or getting in uh, motorcades, usually in the car behind the president, and he's carrying this briefcase. That's the nuclear briefcase. The launch codes for all of the American nukes around the world are controlled by that nuclear briefcase. Can you imagine Joe Biden having control of whether or not to launch nukes. Now, the left, they tried to scare us all to death. They demeaned the fact that, of course, for four years, Donald Trump was sitting in that capacity. But I got to be honest with you, even if you're not a conservative, if you're not a Republican, you got to think we'd be much better off at least understanding and making clear choices based upon factual information you got to believe you'd be more comfortable with Donald Trump holding that trigger compared to this president. And there's a bunch of other stuff that's out there, a bunch of unanswered questions. I get asked this almost every day. Do you think Vladimir Putin has something on Joe Biden? And so I'm going to ask you that. Do you think that? I mean, why would he, for instance, we talked about him not pulling the plug on the swift financial transaction operation that they have to use to sell oil and get paid for it. Among all kinds of other things that every country, their government has to do transaction wise. Why Joe Biden didn't do that initially. He left that little caveat out there. Maybe it's because we are buying 600,000 barrels of oil a day from Russia. Maybe that is hanging over his head. Maybe there's a bunch of other stuff. What could those things be? Well, I've got some answers for you. I know that surprises you (laughs) that I have some answers for a question I'm going to ask. So why don't we do this? We'll take this short break. And on the other side of this, we're going to wade in. What's going on with Joe? Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Carb
1: up with Yakisoba, the noodle masters. No matter what stage of life you're in, we have the perfect noodles for you. From birthday noodles to wedding noodles, all the way to those most final of noodles. Every occasion has a noodle at Yakisoba, so experience something different. Yakisoba, it literally means fried noodles.
2: See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque. And experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy to implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com disruptive. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.
0: Boy, over the weekend, I listened to some amazing music. As a musician, I think, more than being a musician, I'm a keyboard guy, even more than that, I just love good music. And I had some great stuff this weekend. I'm always, always been able to, even before I ever got in radio and I got in radio on air when I was 16, 15 years, 16, year, no 15 years old. And shortly after that, I went on the air in South Louisiana, little radio station there. Even before that, I loved music. And anytime I got in a bad mood, I could get out of that bad mood by just listening to the right song. There's always a place for all of us to escape. We just got to find it, not run away forever, but just to get a new lease in our thinking every once in a while. I am one of those thinkers, and my wife will tell you, she would know 47 years we've been married now. She'll tell you, I can get lost in ideas and just spend all kinds of time just thinking, what about this? Is this possible? Could we actually have this going on? And I've done that through this Joe Biden thing. And let's just get right to it. I honestly think Vladimir Putin has something on our president. And Joe's kind of blasted, not kind of, he's blasted Vladimir Putin now for 20 plus years. He's disliked. He's distrusted Putin. He's even claimed that Putin doesn't even have a soul. But yet for the last year since Biden took office, he's tried repeatedly to reason, to try to talk to and get this strong man from Europe to agree with him. Remember back when they met last June in Geneva? At that meeting, Biden urged Putin to end his years-long aggression against Ukraine and to stop happing us, I mean, his hackers have really brought a bunch of countries around the world and a bunch of companies in our nation to their knees. Biden told Putin he was hurting his credibility worldwide. They had a call back two months ago in December. Putin was assembling tens of thousands of his military members along Russia's border with Ukraine. And, of course, he'd already been there once. Remember back in 2014 when Joe was vice president— they invaded Crimea and took it away from Ukraine. When that conversation happened in December, Biden pushed him to de-escalate and return to diplomacy. And then Biden even warned Putin that reinvading Ukraine would produce widespread human suffering and diminish Russia's standing around the world. None of that mattered to Vladimir Putin, obviously. Obviously, and then he's... It's in history now. He launched his massive assault on Ukraine last week. Putin proved then that he sees the world and his interests very differently than Joe Biden did and what Joe Biden hoped for. Putin also proved resistance to many of the traditional tools of diplomacy and deterrence. Biden told us he has since the beginning of his campaign. He told us he knew Putin. And what made the Russian leader tick? He's for a year now as president treated Putin based on what he thinks or what he thought. And of course, Biden's appeals to Putin's geopolitical ego hadn't worked a single bit. Neither did threats of sanctions, words of condemnation, even Joe's emotional appeals on human rights grounds. On deployments of U.S. troops to NATO countries, and weapons into Ukraine, although there weren't a lot of those that went until just the last few days, or the relatively united front put forth by the U.S. and its allies, standing with Ukraine against the Russian strongman. Even one unusual tactic employed by the Biden administration, publicizing significant amounts of intelligence about Putin's plans, that didn't even stop him. And actions that might have maybe changed Putin's calculus, such as deploying U.S. troops to Ukraine itself, were not ones that Biden would even consider or to even talk about, which that raised a question in my mind specific to that. Why why wouldn't he put a preemptive source, uh, group of military members over there just as a signal to Vlad that if you come over here, you're going to pay a bigger price than you think. It's not just going to be Ukraine. Now, for Joe and his feckless team, it's a deeply frustrating moment. You got to know they're scratching their heads trying to figure out what the heck are we going to do. Their overall strategy toward Russia, let's be honest, it's failed. Despite their effort to manipulate it, adjust it over time because of Putin's stubborn moves. Thursday last week, Biden doubled down on Russia's existing strategy, unveiling more sanctions, deploying more U.S. troops to Europe, and promising more diplomacy to keep America and its allies unified. He warned that Putin's aggression against Ukraine is going to end up costing Russia dearly, economically, and strategically. Biden said, we're going to make sure of that. Putin will be a pariah on the international stage. And I love it when Joe uses that term, pariah, pariah. That's a nice way of calling somebody a tyrant, a terrorist, or a bully. At the same time, our president dismissed questions about whether he fully appreciated Putin's thinking. I didn't underestimate him. Joe said that when he was asked that question in a press briefing by Ducey from Fox News. But even some of Joe's supporters begged to differ. Plenty of Russian hands feared Biden and his aides were being naive all along. Many of the people around Biden had served in the Barack Obama administration when Biden was VP. Back then, the U.S. was often startled by what Moscow did. It was under Obama, after all, that Putin first used surreptitious means to invade and annex Crimea back in 2014. I keep reminding people of this, but I'm going to remind you again of it. When... The former president of Ukraine, who's no longer there before Zelensky, when he reached out in desperation to Barack Obama and Joe Biden for military assistance, because he knew Russia was going to do what they did, they asked for specifically javelin missiles. That's the missile designed specifically to just obliterate tanks on a battlefield. They needed a bunch because Russia has got a huge treasure trove of very good tanks that they bring and brag about and show the world every time they invade or go to war with anybody. In answer to the request by the Ukrainian president back then for those Javelin missiles, you know what Joe and Barack sent to Ukraine? Blankets. That's all they sent him was blankets. Can you believe that? Obama, and some of his aides, were nervous about how much to escalate a standoff back in 2014 with Russia. Resisting, for instance, sending certain lethal weapons to Ukraine. They gave them blankets. (laughs) Every military needs blankets, especially in the wintertime, right? The Russia watchers, some of who had been serving under Obama warned the Biden team not to think they could put Putin aside or just manage him tit for tat, and especially not through diplomacy on a standalone basis. He's just not that kind of guy. One of those guys, Michael McFaul, who served as the U.S. ambassador to Russia under Obama, noted as an example, the sanctions package seemed designed to punish past Russian misbehavior in the hopes there'd be no more of it. McFaul, the former ambassador said, I'm, I'm skeptical that Putin is going to go along with their strategy, whether they like it or not, Putin's going to be a part of Biden's foreign policy for the next four years. And in fact, Russia never got far from the headlines. So let's go ahead and dive into this. Does Putin have something on Joe Biden? I told you that was the nexus for this part of the show. And the answer is yes, he does. He's got something on Joe. It's too obvious to any longer ignore that that has to be true. Maybe it began during the Russiagate war against Trump and the possible use of Putin to fuel that battle. There were so many weird elements in that entire debacle, it's impossible to ascertain fact or falsehood on dozens of different possibilities. But I'm certain, I am positive, Vladimir Vladimir used some or all of that circus to fuel his eventual face-to-face with Biden as the U.S. president. You don't need a secret dossier authored by a British ex-spy for hire. You remember that name, Christopher Steele? You don't need that to understand the possible weird real-world mirror version of a Russiagate going on right now. This time, though, it's out in the open. There's no need for the Democrats or the Biden administration to even hide it. Or at least it was until the press and social media scrubbed reports, remember these? Hunter Biden's laptop from the internet in the run-up to the 2020 election. The laptop, whose provenance and contents have both since checked out beyond any shadow of doubt, give evidence of Hunter's financial relationships with foreign officials and businesses, like the more than $50,000 a month he got paid just to sit on the board of Burisma Holdings, a um, very questionable and always being looked at by legal authorities around the world, an energy company, Burisma Holdings. That started in the spring of 2014. What else happened in 2014 Uh, Oh, the Russian invasion and annexation of Crimea. Think there's a tie there? The reason that a company like Burisma was willing to pay the drug-addled son of Ven vp Biden, it wasn't to buy his, I'm talking about Hunter, it wasn't to buy his expertise in natural gas exploration and drilling, of course, Hunter's book, remember that came out, it was supposed to be a blockbuster, Title is Beautiful Things, made it clear that during the period we're talking about here, back in 2014, he was a wreck of a human being. He spent lavishly on crack and meth, which he consumed in the expensive hotel rooms in the company of prostitutes. It would seem that the obvious point of paying Hunter was to buy protection from who? the American official in charge of America's Ukraine policy. Who was that? His dad, Joe Biden. Did it work? (laughs) Well, according to the now president, then vice president, it worked. Don't forget, we played here and have numerous times from a 2018 audience when Joe Biden publicly threatened to withhold a $1 billion loan guarantee to Ukraine unless the government in Kiev fired a prosecutor that was investigating Barisma Holdings. Burisma is that company that was paying his son a princely retainer to fuel that nasty drug and prostitution habit that he had. So at the time when Biden's laptop first showed up, U.S. media and our spy services, oh, they claimed, en masse, together, it was Russian disinformation, a fake and it was aimed at harming his father's election prospects for 2020. Well, it wasn't a fake, of course. As Hunter's subsequent memoir and farmer business associates have confirmed, the effort to cast some nastiness on the origins of the laptop, censor reports about it, and or label reporting on its contents disinformation, was itself a disinformation operation waged by Joe's information czars, the American media, and of course, tech platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Google, in a real-world example of election interference, as well as a massive in-kind contribution to Biden's election. But the Hunter laptop and the cries of Russian disinformation that followed raise a timely question. Given the Biden's Ukraine-related activities... What additional information does Moscow have on our now first family? Hunter's problems with substance abuse, prostitutes and money would have made the VP's son an ideal target for foreign intelligence services. Don't you think worse Joe Biden seems to have eagerly promoted his son's shakedown efforts, even boasting publicly about using his office to interfere in Ukraine's political and court systems in ways that directly benefited his son's employer and therefore his son. There's certainly no shortcut or shortages of oligarchs, Ukrainian and Russian, who are bustingly eager to share information about their dealings with the Bidens in order to gain influence with Putin and to undo rival billionaires. You can just assume that all of that info has made its way by now back to Moscow, back to Putin's office. He's got it all. The likelihood that Russia is sitting on a wealth of compromising Ukraine-related material on Joe and his family— may come as a shock to media that pushed the Trump-Russia collusion narrative every day, 24-7 for four years. But the Biden-Russia story may be more than a political funhouse mirror. It may explain the president's curious passivity toward Russia's Nord Stream 2 pipeline and why, almost as soon as Biden took office, Putin seized the opportunity to move more than 100,000 troops to Ukraine's border. They didn't just get there overnight, folks. It happened over a period of months. And we watched it happen, and Joe Biden never even brought it up. What's more, it can also provide some new insight into the Russiagate conspiracy theory that poisoned America's public sphere and made people lose their collective minds. Given the amount of genuinely compromising material that ties Joe Biden and Hunter Biden to shady dealings involving Ukraine and Russia, including, by the way, a $3.5 million payment Hunter got from the widow of the former mayor of Moscow in 2014. In the midst of all of that, it's worth asking if the 46th president of the United States was the initial target of the Hillary Clinton-funded Russia dossier. In fact, allegations about the Biden's activities in Ukraine sourced in part, it seems, to the Clinton campaign, made their way—did you forget about this?— into the New York Times back in 2015, encouraging Biden to dispel second thoughts about re-entering the 2016 race. The Steele dossier, It's long since been revealed as nothing but utter nonsense— But with Biden's as a target rather than Trump, it's at least easier to make sense of its contents, especially that notorious P tape. You remember that? The word came through the Steele dossier that in some trip to Russia, Trump stayed in the very room in which Barack Obama and the First Lady stayed when they were there, and that Trump had a bunch of hookers come to that room and he laid on the bed while those hookers peed all over him. Now let me just put that in context. Everybody that knows Trump, you know he's a well-known germaphobe. Nobody in any right mind that knows anything about him could imagine that he would agree to that happening by a bunch of hookers in a hotel bed in Moscow. Nordwood, would... Republican primary voters likely care about ladies of the night soiling a bed that Barack Obama once slept in. Big deal, right? But Democrats? Oh my gosh, they thought it was sacrilegious. How could the bad, evil orange man do that? By his own admission, Hunter seems to have spent plenty of nights in hotel rooms with prostitutes. Seems hard to imagine Trump walking into a hotel in Moscow and asking for the Obama suite. (laughs) A scenario in which... Hunter demanded, such lodging doesn't take much imagination at all. Let's wrap this up. Most Americans are skeptical about the innocence of Joe and all this. Yep, Democrats have for decades been madly in love with a dashing senator from Delaware who probably at one time was the greatest speech marker in, in Congress. I mean, he was fiery, folks. He could give a, a speech. But those who knew him well enough to push through that facade of coolness realized there's very little there in the way of substance. He grossly misrepresented his accomplishments in college and even in his early life. He embellished every story he ever told. What shocked so many was that when he was confronted with many of his own lies and misrepresentations that he made publicly, he showed little, if any, remorse. For me, this is me personally, it is incomprehensible to accept that the President of the United States, even Joe Biden, would with executive action arbitrarily destroy in just a few weeks the most effective sector of the U.S. economy, our fossil fuel. He did it on his own with no consultation with anybody in Congress he shut down our fossil fuel industry. And at the same time, he was signing a check from the United States, a check. And I know I'm figuratively speaking, but on his orders, we started buying 600,000 barrels of Russia oil every day. When he did that, folks, he forced every American into a financial hole that has since driven millions of good paying jobs back overseas, shuttered almost totally the U.S. oil and gas industry while driving the cost of energy through the roof for all of us. But the really important point of all this is he didn't have to do any of it. Why he did is the enigma that virtually guarantees that much of these actions can only be as quid pro quo, payback or based on blackmail, whether it's payback or whether it's blackmail, his name that was given to him by Donald Trump is appropriate. Quid pro quo Joe. By the way, every way Biden has responded to Putin's actions leading up to and during his invasion of Ukraine, screams that Biden is crippled by something that has given Putin power over the leader of the free world. There's just something hanging out there. Because none of the other stuff makes any sense. And whatever it is stopping Biden from using his considerable resources as President of the United States to stop this unprovoked invasion of a sovereign nation, nobody can figure out what that could be other than Putin's got something on Joe. We Americans, we're paying dearly at the pump for Joe's actions, and they haven't only emboldened Putin, but put $900 billion of excess cash into Putin's hands from the massive increase of Russian oil sales since Biden became president. There's got to be a connection. That just doesn't happen accidentally, folks. And we could keep going. We could spend another hour today painting more parts of this picture. But you know there's got to be something there. There are far too many moving parts that just don't make sense to think these are the actions of a coherent leader who is committed to what's best for the American people. So let's stop right here. If you think I'm nuts, just put the ledger sheet side by side comparing Trump's accomplishments in year one of his administration and those of Joe Biden. Based on that alone, it proves that Joe is a failure. And we told you about that ABC poll that was released yesterday. 63% of Americans feel that Joe is a failure. Only 37% still approve of him and what he's doing. For right now, the only really important thing we got to ascertain is this. Can Joe overcome these massive hurdles and obstacles and pull off a win against Putin in Ukraine? My thought, the only way Joe can hope for a tiny shred of victory in this is if the Ukrainian people put up enough military and civilian force against Putin troops that he will withdraw from Ukraine. And honestly, I think that's doubtful. My glass is always half full. But I don't know. (laughs) On Joe... I don't know that my glass is half full. In fact, I think it's pretty much empty. So have you puzzled through? I'm going to switch gears here. Have you puzzled through? I'm going to tease you for a second. I'm going to get you to think about something while we take a break. Why wouldn't Joe, right now today, knowing that Vladimir Putin has 900 billion extra U.S. dollars that he wasn't planning on having by this time. Why hadn't Joe attacked that very thing? Oh, I know we, as of this morning, we shut down the SWIFT transfer situation for Russia, sending money out or getting back through. Every central bank on earth can no longer do business through the SWIFT system with Russia. I get all of that. But there's got to be something else to it. There's got to be something else, some other reasoning. And Adam Schiff, one of our favorite members of the House of Representatives, that very question was put to him over the weekend. You're not going to believe this. Get ready. Adam Schiff, right after this break. You love chocolate. Mm,
2: chocolate.
0: You love M&M's.
2: Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue.
4: My heroes.
2: M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mm Mm-mm. How about China? Mmm. Germany? Mmm. How about people from the North Pole? Mmm. Or Mars? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, what about mimes?
4: Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mmm. Mm. Mm. Oh,
2: you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mmm. Mm. What about you, High School Glee Club, here on a field trip? Mm-hmm. 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 Well, that settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton green tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton tea can do that. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society, the wheel
0: Taking aim at the problem, it's Dan Newman. And let's do this. Let's just think through for the next few minutes about what if. What if Joe Biden would just say, hey, guys, the oil energy thing right now, the situation, uh, whether we're pointing fingers, taking blame for it ourselves or pointing at other people, it's still a critical situation. And so I'm thinking now about changing that and going back. I'm going to turn against the climate change fanatics that uh, I supported and they supported me about this climate change thing and that the only way we can get the climate change situation righted for us is to stop fossil fuel production. I know that's the position we've taken and I may believe that, but there's something more important than that. We've got to get our energy production back on shore and turn our backs, at least maybe just temporarily, but on the climate change policies that I promoted so heavily when I was running for president, and I've lied, uh, relied on in my decision-making since I've been president. Adam Schiff from California was asked by a reporter about this this very thing this weekend. Here's his response.
3: Putin has made it very clear that he will use Russia's energy dominance as a political weapon. Is it time for us to abandon Climate-focused energy policies, like a drill ban on federal lands, like killing pipelines, and instead increase U.S. oil and gas production in full force.
0: Uh, I don't think the response to Putin making war uh, on Ukraine ought to be the dismantling of our uh, protections against climate change. I do think what it ought to prompt is a wholesale effort to wean Europe off of uh, Russian uh, oil and gas, uh, so that uh, Russia can no longer use that as leverage against Europe. Uh, and uh, I think it, it ought to spell at a minimum the uh, the final death of Nord Stream 2. Uh, so I think that ought to be our response to uh, Russia's use of oil and gas as a geopolitical weapon. Okay, think through this thing. Think through what you just heard from Representative Schiff about he doesn't think that he doesn't think that what we should do is turn our backs on the progress we made towards climate change. That in itself is an enigma. What what advantages do we have now that we didn't have before Joe Biden went into office? Other than we were giving billions of dollars, just as Joe Biden and Barack Obama did when you know that shovel ready program that they put together and the. 100 billion, 200 billion, whatever it was, it was 900 billion, I think, dollars were put out there to stimulate climate change industries, you know, going away from fossil fuel. It all began then. Trump came in, and in three and a half years, just very suddenly, all of a sudden, we became energy independent. Oh, by the way, in the last 20 years, we've reduced our carbon emissions in the United States while all of the Al Gore sycophants. And the climate change sycophants were saying, we're going to die, we're going to die. We reduced our carbon emissions more than, percentage-wise, more than any country on the planet. Forget about all that. You can't politicize that. You can't use that as a weapon. But what you can use for a weapon is we're destroying the planet And we've got to get away from carbon fuel. And the reason and the way we're going to do that is the federal government is going to give away several trillion dollars and we're going to take that money. Some of it's going to be cheated and it's going to be lost, but we're going to spend money to get this industry put back together again and do away with carbon fuel. Now, there are all kinds of holes in that line of thinking. And the first one is, folks, what's the energy source you're going to replace carbon fuel with? And doesn't it make sense even if you're going to go down that road? Wouldn't you think it would be prudent to have this other system in place, fully operational, and proven that it can do it without destroying the American economy and the American household while you're doing it? First of all, the 900-pound gorilla in the room, they they say we're going, going away from... Um, carbon fueled vehicles we're going to electric vehicles now that's a novel idea and it may work someday but it's not working now and it's not going to work in the next decade why is that well there's a lot of problems with it that nobody wants to talk about do you know there's not nearly enough capacity in our electric grid across the country to even be able to do it, if we had all of the sources, the resources necessary to create enough batteries to replace fossil fuel and cars and trucks and boats and yeah, airplanes, I can't wait to see an uh, <laughs> electric powered jet, even if we had that capacity now, which we're nowhere near having, the transition would take years, if not decades, to do, even if all the other stuff was okay. But let me tell you the conundrum in this thing that nobody wants to even bring up to these climate change activists and get them to respond to is You know how nasty it is to mine for the materials that are necessary to make these batteries they're putting in cars? A year and a half, two years ago, at our website, truthnewsnet.org, we published a story about this very thing and included in it, we include a Uh, above the ground of a mine. I believe it was in Nevada where they were mining the materials, the strip mine process to get to the materials so that they can make these batteries. And this mine, it's an open mine. It's a big pit and they just start at the top and drill and drill and cart this stuff off, all this material. The mine itself covered about 100 acres and it was obliterated. There was pollution all around it. All these minerals they're taking out of the ground to produce these batteries are nasty. They're caustic. And then we published a picture right next to it of a well, a Haynesville shell well, that was producing, let me think, I want to be accurate here, over 20 million cubic feet of gas a day, just one well. And the drilling had all gone away. It was completed. And it was this picture of this beautiful field with green grass. And out from the middle of the field, there was a skinny, one inch thick pipe sticking up out of the ground. And that was the outlet for the underground shale natural gas. It is filthy to mine the minerals to make electric batteries on the scale that would have to be done, even if we had that ability now, which we don't. The second thing, did you notice when we yanked our forces out of Afghanistan, who was the first country to jump in there and replace us? China. Nobody in the Biden administration would announce this. A month ago, we announced to you that China had reached a contractual agreement with Afghanistan, with the Taliban. Now, why is that a big deal? Did you know that the country on the planet that has more of the elements that are necessary to create everything to do with electric transportation is in Afghanistan? And China owns now, on Earth, control of more than half of all those minerals and elements that are necessary and the country of Afghanistan has most of them but let's just for a second just think about it even if we were going to go down that road even if that was the way and every American or the a huge consensus of Americans believed we needed to do it and that it was realistic to do I don't know of a single American that it's okay just to shut down the carbon fuel energy industry and over a period of years phase into electric and wind energy or whatever else they come up with. You got to have a plan that is operational. You've got to have the process, the infrastructure put in place to make it happen. We don't have the ability today to even provide the necessary charging stations across the United States to even if we could do it replace the carbon fuel energy sector of our society. We can't do it. In my town, and I live in an, a part of town where it's 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 pretty current in its infrastructure, far more current than a bunch of other places. And this isn't a big state, Louisiana's not one of the biggies in the nation. And Shreveport, Louisiana is not a really big place, but we have some nice uh, commercial and private real estate developments around this area. I happen to live in one, and our studio happens to be in one. In this particular situation here, we don't have even remotely enough electrical power to draw from the portion of the grid that we draw from To provide every house in this development, even one charging station. It requires a massive amount of electricity to charge a car battery. Nobody's talking about that. Why? It's not a political thing that sounds very good to support giving trillions of dollars to the compadres of these politicians that are getting millions of dollars in campaign contributions from these companies that want to go down that road. And who's paying the price for all of it? You and I are. Just simply because the love of money is the root of all evil. Joe Biden turned his back on every American when he, in the Oval Office his first day, signed that big pile of executive orders, and many of those that he signed were to kill the petroleum industry, every part of it. He had the unmitigated gall the other, other day, I think it was Friday, to attack our oil and gas companies, labeling them solely responsible for the spike in the cost of gasoline and other petroleum products. And he said, you need to reach out to those companies. We've got to find a way to stop them from aggressively just taking advantage of Americans and forcing Americans to pay all this extra stuff. There's a lot of questions that are unanswered. No answers, none out there. If they ever even let you ask the questions, there are no answers out there for them. Things like these sanctions, those first sanctions that Joe Biden announced last week, he got excoriated across the board. People around the world, You can't stop Russia unless you knock them to their knees. What can knock them easiest and quicker than taking them out of the world financial system by keeping them, blocking them from the SWIFT system? And then all of the sanctions that he put in, the experts around the world said, these aren't going to work. They're not going to work. Of course, Biden was asked that in a press conference and he had to respond.
3: I thought that was so interesting when President Biden said no one expected sanctions to prevent anything. Sir, sanctions clearly have not been enough to deter Vladimir Putin to this point. What is going to stop him? How and when does this end? And do you see him trying to go beyond Ukraine and a second question I'll just give to you now. This statement that he gave last night, will, that the, the threat that he gave the West will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. Is he threatening a nuclear strike?
4: I have no idea what he's threatening. I know what he has done, number one. And number two, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening.
3: Actually, that's exactly what his foreign policy team said again and again. It is what his secretary of state said to me uh, on Sunday alone. The purpose is to do everything we can to deter it, to prevent a war, to deter the aggression. And once you trigger sanctions, you lose the deterrent effect. Uh, Because uh,
4: we lose the deterrent effect.
3: Vladimir Putin was not deterred. What I heard and how the president laid it out today was that they are now looking for a reassessment by Putin, that he's gone this far. If they hit him now, will he stop where he is? But as the president of Ukraine has stood on the world stage and said, that doesn't help us when we're already hit by bombs. Sanctions are punitive. They are punishment. They haven't prevented. That is always the criticism of them as a foreign policy tool.
0: It always takes a while for sanctions to work in a situation like this. And, of course, as we know, he said that it was going to take some time. The other day, he said, we're going to have to watch and wait for 30 days or so to see the impact that they make. And then he doubled down on what he said. Nobody expected these sanctions to work. Well, Joe was busted again yesterday by his own ambassador to the United States, excuse me, to the United Nations on this. Here's his ambassador on that very same issue. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter.
1: The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence.
2: The sanctions designed in the first instance to try to deter Russia from taking further aggression.
4: No one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. Look, Chuck, we've been very clear clear eyed on this from the beginning. As the president noted, we were going to apply harsh sanctions. And initially, they were to, an attempt to prevent uh, Russia from taking this aggressive action. But it is Vladimir Putin's decision.
0: It is Vladimir Putin's decision. If that's the reason why they do anything in this battle, in this invasion of Ukraine to try to stop it where it is, and get Russia to withdraw. We've got to impact Vladimir's decisions, folks. There has to be something that we will do. And there are many things that we can do to do it. And even as of yet today, Joe Biden hadn't pulled the trigger. He could shut down Russia's economy, at least two-thirds of his economy, Joe Biden, with his actions, could shut down today. And of course, if you ask him why he's not doing it, if you can get him to respond, he'll tell you that would be horrible to the Russian people. They can't live that way. Well, no, they can't, but their leader is also at the same time slaughtering Ukrainian people that did nothing to provoke Vladimir Putin from invading Ukraine. Obviously, the sanctions that Joe Biden put up were feckless and ineffective and didn't stop him from doing anything, what would make him think that not going full bore and just leveling everything, everything the United States and its allies around the world can do to force Vladimir Putin to stop what he's doing and to withdraw from Ukraine? Why wouldn't at this particular point, why wouldn't Biden do it? What does he have to gain by waiting? More Ukrainians are going to die. More devastation is going to happen. Irreparable things are going to happen and continue to happen. Why would the president of the United States, can you imagine if the orange man had won re-election and was in the White House, do you think Vladimir Putin would have even seriously considered invading Ukraine? He would have known for a fact if that happened Donald Trump would do quickly, immediately, even before the action of invasion was actually initiated. Donald Trump would have put so much angst on Vladimir Putin, he wouldn't even think about it. And he would be looking over his shoulder every minute of every day if he did do anything even similar to what he has been given the opportunity to do with hardly any pushback at all from anybody other than the Ukrainian people, certainly not from the President of the United States. That's sad to even think about it. So what can we do? What can we Americans do? Remember, I asked you this question in Friday's show. I said, you may be be wondering, what can we do? We're just John Q. Public. We don't have any power or authority, and I told you to reach out to those that represent you in the United States Congress. And some folks from Missouri did just that. And this morning, their senator, Josh Hawley, is introducing legislation today that is going to reopen energy production here in the United States full throttle. He dubbed this bill that he is introducing today as the American Energy Independent Acts of 2022. Hawley said this bill, if it's, passed by both houses of Congress and signed into law, will reverse Biden's shutdown of the American energy sector and return American energy to full production. Now, this is in the middle of what's happening with oil prices. They surged above $100 a barrel overnight after Putin announced in a televised address that he was going to invade Ukraine. The last time, by the way, the price of oil was over $100 a barrel was in 2014. What happened then? It's when Joe Biden and Barack Obama allowed Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine and take Crimea. That's the last time oil went over $100 a barrel. So what does that tell Vladimir Putin? Every time I do an invasion somewhere, hey, 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 we collect hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue that we're going to make just by selling the same amount of oil to countries around the world that are buying it from us. And across the United States, meanwhile, gas and other energy prices are steadily rising. Total domestic gasoline stocks have declined and demand for gas has increased. Experts are warning Americans could face more pain, more serious of pain, At the gas pump. Joe Biden did issue sanctions against the company building the Nord Stream 2 pipeline after Germany announced a freeze on that project. Folks, it never came online. It was never online. That was never going to take money out of Putin's pocket right now. Vladimir Putin is a tyrant, he's a dictator. He gives no no positive support of human life whatsoever in any of the decisions that he makes. Every decision he makes is based on what the man in the mirror tells him every day when he gets up. It is not about the Russian people. It's certainly not about the Ukrainian people. It's about his push to maintain what he considers to be the power that supposedly makes him, in his mind, he's the most powerful plant, planet leader, certainly more than Joe Biden. And if he would admit it, he would say Xi Jinping and communist China, they're buddies, but Putin thinks he's more powerful than is Xi Jinping. He is not going to allow us to do anything. We are going to have to initiate it. And that would be our president, our commander in chief. And there are things Biden can do today that will fix your problem at the gas pump tomorrow. I promise. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network.
3: How can we say when you book direct at choicehotels.com, you always get the lowest price in our rooms, guaranteed? Let's get someone to say it with a really low voice. Carl?
0: Lowest price, guaranteed.
3: What about the world's lowest limbo stick?
0: How low can you go?
3: Nice one, Carl.
4: Hey, I've got an idea. Just say, bada-book, bada-boom. Bada-book, bada-boom. Nice.
2: Always the lowest price, guaranteed. Book now at choicehotels.com.
0: Like that back in the 70s and 80s, that was the average white band cut the cake. Hey, um, you do know there was something pretty big this week in the life of Joe Biden, President Biden ahead, State of the Union. Hey, 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 this is going to be the recap of his analysis of the State of the Union of the United States, and he's going to be giving that tomorrow. It is going to be interesting. In light of everything going on, it wouldn't surprise me if Joe Biden came back and he called in and he was sick and he put it off a week or two, or maybe put it off just to watch and see what happens in Ukraine. Seriously. So there's a lot of other stuff going on in Joe's life under consideration right now. Uh, You know, there was CPAC this weekend. That was a conservative political action committee. They have their annual... A big meeting. They had it last year and this year. Last year it was because of COVID. It's always been in D.C., but the re- reception in Florida was so big they went back to Orlando today. A survey that was taken the 23rd and 24th and it came from 20, 20 uh, 2026 registered U.S. voters asked respondents to rate Biden's job performance on a number of key issues from immigration to the economy. On nearly every issue, guess whose approval in January of 2020, right before he left office, and is coming back. He hadn't announced it, but it looks like he's going to run for president. On nearly every issue, Trump's ratings of where he stood in governing us for four years bested Biden's current approval rating by double digits. For instance, 56% of voters approved of Trump's handling of the economy in January of 2020. While Biden enjoyed a higher rating of 61% in that area when he took office, it's descended consistently every month beginning in May of last year, falling from a high of 62% to 33% now. That is 23% less than Trump's January 2020 approval rating. On creating jobs, Trump garnered 58% support in January 2020. Biden currently falls 20 points behind, seeing 38% approval last week. On other issues, like fighting terrorism, Trump 55% approval, Biden 34 On immigration, Trump 52% approval, Biden 32 Foreign affairs, Trump 52%, Biden 33%. Running the government, go figure. Trump, 49% approval. Biden, 38%. Now, even though it's not by double digits, Trump also bested Biden in reacting to coronavirus, 47% to Biden's 44 The poll also showed Biden with 33% approval on dealing with violence and crime, 28% approval, 33% to 28% now facing all that folks he's got to face the nation and give a state of the union (laughs) address tomorrow night he's got to get up and tell tell Americans tell us all hey y'all everything's good because of everything I've done you're in a much better place now a year later than you were when the orange man was president that's ridiculous and I know you also think that is ridiculous. Have you wondered in the context of the world? And you know, there are so many different countries, 191, 192, whatever the number is, so many different sets of circumstances economically, socially, um, politically in all these countries. So there's a bunch of folks in every nation around the globe that are very concerned about what Putin's doing. President of World Bank, David Malpass, warned that Russia's invasion of Ukraine could potentially impact the entire economy of the globe, including Russia itself. He was on Face the Nation yesterday on CBS. Malpass said the invasion will affect the Russian ruble and as a consequence, the people of Russia. Now, let me put that in context. Do you remember when you were kids and you went to the grocery store, those of you that are in in my generation, I remember we lived in Lafayette, Louisiana, and there was a little, uh, they didn't have C stores back then, but a little grocery store called Babineau's Grocery about four blocks away. And on Saturdays, my mother, when I was like six, seven, eight years old, would give me a quarter and let me go buy bubble gum. And I'd run up to Babineau's Grocery, and with a quarter, folks, I could buy 25 pieces. Of bubble gum. Now let's fast forward to today. Let's fast forward. Russia uses the ruble. Today, this morning, if I lived in Russia and my mom was going to give me money to buy 25 pieces of bubble gum, the ruble today on international financial sources is trading at, in comparison, one penny to $100 U.S. In other words, what we can buy for a penny, Russian people have to pay $100. Think about that. They're in a bad place, folks. And I don't wish that on the Russian people. There are some great people in Russia, the church, Christianity, is thriving in Russia in many areas. But this guy, he's got to go, folks. He's not wrapped tight, and he certainly doesn't have at heart what's best for the Russian people. That's a wrap on today's show. Thank you for being here, folks, and don't miss a day this week. Back tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time. We'll see you then at TNN Live.